Now, remember, I've tried to talk about principles. Bruce is working in a context that's much more similar, perhaps, to some of yours, so you might want to filter what I've said through what Bruce has said and we'll throw over to you for questions. Just um, one of the things that uh, I'd say about evangelism is um, uh, one of the things I did is I, I, I tried to get everyone to think differently about that. Um, interested to see what you say to this, Craig, but we've got thing, a thing we call uh, OEC Essentials and uh, the third one is, uh, sorry, the fourth one is Gospel Living and we just help people to think about evangelism in the one Peter sense, you know, you live such good lives before people, and then one Peter three fifteen, you, you, evangelism is giving an account of the hope that you have, and and some people will, will only be able to say, um, you know, I trust Jesus because He died for me. That's it. That's about as much as I can say. Or, or I'm going to heaven. That's all I can say. Someone else could, you know, could lay it out in detail and. Yeah, so we, that's something that we, we want to go, you've got to live the gospel. You've, have you got a hope in Christ? Then work out how you're going to articulate that so that you can say something. And some people will just do that brilliantly and other people will just be really simple. Mm. But if you've got a hope, we've well, got to be able to express it. Yeah, one of the, on that line, um, uh, Jim Ramsey, <coughs> who worked for Evangelism Ministries in Sydney, uh, he and his wife, I think Evangelism Ministries, put out a course called Just Start Talking, yeah. which is exactly along that line. It just mm. aims to help the, yeah. the Christian express in a hundred words or less, why am I a Christian? Yeah. Not the classic testimony, which, is, which many of us perhaps learn, how did I become a Christian? Mm. Because in one sense, that's less important than why am I a Christian? What commends Christianity? Yeah. 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 So we want everyone in our church to do that Fundamental, that's step one. Um, sorry. Um, so the question was: um, People are, have got a lot further to go to get to God, but has the church actually made it tougher for them to get to God by the way it's behaved? Um, in in the in my experience in in uh, Ningen and Orange particularly, actually no, everywhere in particularly is that the. Um, Excesses of Pentecostalism has certainly done that. Um, last year, we had there was a campaign in Orange called Orange Alive, uh, and what it was was uh, they had a prophecy school. They set up prophecy tents where you could come and get a prophetic reading. They did. They they weren't going to actually share the gospel. They walked around and gave everyone a rose and said, the God who made the rose uh, loves you. you. So someone knocked on the door um, and uh, someone told me they were very excited about this and I said, well, I think uh, those who think people think 
who think Christians are idiots will now know they are. And, and honestly, it, it, that, that, is a, that is, has been a real, a real issue, particularly in smaller communities where the eccentricities are more easy to see. Um, uh, that's, been, that's been an issue for us. And, and so in that, uh, for us, one thing, one thing we just really emphasise is that we don't do weird stuff. We're really, we're really sensible. We're really straightforward, you know. Um, um, the the other thing I'd say in the in the traditional, uh, you know, when everyone used to be either a Catholic or an Anglican or whatever, nominal Christianity, like everyone thinks they're kind of okay with God. Everyone's got a, a label, or they used to have, not so much now. And I found um, the smaller the community the bigger the issue that was, or the more conservative and smaller the community, the bigger it was. Um, so, yeah, not church nominalism and church extremes. Yeah, I've found it's... And you've got to work out how to get over that. I mean, and of course, what I'm, saying, what I'm saying is you've got to hold both of those things together because the, um, the seeker-sensitive church movement, in one sense, um, is wanting to say we want to cater to people at the level of their felt need. And so the message becomes quite garbled at that point. If Sunday by Sunday you're trying to cater to a felt need rather than helping people hear what is the Bible saying... Um, so the issue of sin has always been and will always be a great shock to people. Uh, I think obscuring that message, of course, makes it much more difficult. And people think that church is simply something that um, makes you feel better. It's good for you if it's good for you. Yeah. Mm. Those, things have, those things have made it more difficult. Another question for Bruce. Mm. Bruce, um, you mentioned <clears throat> the way you struggled with going from denominational Um, so I just asked about the, the transition from denominational to independent and yeah. what that meant. I, I actually didn't struggle. My struggle was that I desperately wanted to do that, but God had put me in the Anglican system. I was an archdeacon. I was in a position of influence, and I had to, I had to really make question my motives because I, I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, because and, and so I just, I just gave the proposition to three three godly colleagues in the Armadale Diocese who knew me um, and, I th- and, and I thought um, if I'm going to go with what they tell me and they all told me to go. Yeah, not because not they didn't like me. Um, they told me to go because they, they um, were excited about the prospects of that. So um, um, now I, I think what I did say is that uh, people don't understand the difference between independent ministry and denominational ministry. And so I've seen guys go from 
so one guy I know who's an Anglican was an Anglican minister went and worked at an independent church. I actually advised against it, um, and he he just he just didn't cope with it. Now I did talk about that. Is that what you're asking? Um, because that, I think that's yep. Well, Sorry. basically, the conscience side of it is what I was sort of hoping to get some idea. You, you tried to do something about your denomination. Oh yes, yes. Yep. Look, look. Can I say that that um, in God's sovereignty, there are denominations, and basically, you know, one, one of the things that we we face at the moment, we've got a thing called FIEC, Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. It's a bunch of like-minded people who, you know, it started, you know, oh, I don't know, eight or nine, ten years ago with a small bunch and, and we've grown and I'm on the executive of that. And, and you know, you could almost call us a denomination in a way because we're like-minded people trying to get a job done. Um, now, the, the thing that I'm trying to make sure doesn't happen there is centralism so that we've got someone in one part of the country who thinks how someone ought to do it in another. They're not, they don't. They've got some great ideas, like um, Craig turns up here, he's got some great ideas. It's like he says, you know, the program doesn't make it work, you know. Um, so, so I'm perfectly happy to say in God's sovereignty denominations came into being and have served the gospel. You know, um, in my case, I thank God for the Sydney Anglican Church and it's more college. I mean, it... it it changed my life going and studying there. So, um, but but what I realise is that uh, that's not the only way to do it. And I and I had to I realised who I was. I I knew that if I stayed in the Armadale Diocese, uh, that I would start. I would go from being a colleague of the bishop to a burr under his saddle to being an enemy almost because I was just I was just on about another thing. Um. And, 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 I, and I, I'm, I, I admire the blokes who can throw on the robes and go and work in a church and preach the gospel and turn it round. I admire them. I can't do it. I can't. And, and it's horses for courses. God used them all. Like I said, you know, in the, in the, in the town I was telling you about, a couple of independent churches are, and the Prezi church is going really well. Um, so I think you've got to work out who you are. I think you've got, to, you've got to ask what is going to work best in this context. See, I think it would be a disaster for a, a church plan to decide to go to a small rural town in which there was an evangelical minister in any denomination trying to, to make a go of it. I mean, how many churches can a town of 3,000 people support? You know, we don't want to continue the divide and conquer itself thing. Um, so yeah, I just think you've, we, we've got to be know who we are, but, but and we've also got to um, uh, realise that ministry is not somewhere for me to go and do the thing I want to do. No, Jesus is the boss. Um, how how does how is that town going to be reached with the gospel best? Answer that question and and go where you you need. I'm drifting a little from your, the question, but.
about how long it takes for a person to be converted. So, so the question is, how long does it take a person, on average, given the fact God is sovereign in all this, how long does it take for a person to become Christian today? Well, I can only say what we do, and judging whether a person is Christian or not, that's tricky, isn't it? Um, in my context, I'm, I'm thought to be very, very pessimistic about this. I just think, I'm, I, just think I try to be realistic. I don't want to overhype figures. But I do think it's important to count some things, and I'm going to say a bit about that later. Uh, people typically come to, they have a conversation with a friend, and they might have had some extensive conversation over a period of time with a, a friend from church or a neighbour or whatever it is. They would come along to life, um, they would hear six weeks of that. Um, many of them will either respond, a, a person who's completely outside uh, Christian life and has had very little exposure to it. We found that about 87% of the people who come express an interest in in knowing more, that is in doing the follow-up afterwards. Um, so, And then we found that about 50% of those actually do. Now, we've improved that in recent times because I think we are, we're doing our follow-up better, but um, uh, follow-up for us is actually pretty critical. I think people are converted not at our event. I think they're converted at the follow-up part of it. Um, and our follow-up, therefore, is in the past, if I can say without offence, um, follow-up for many people was the seven basic Bible studies, just for starters, if you've ever heard about that too. Well, that was developed on University of New South Wales campus when I was there. That's a long time ago. <laughs> and I think that doesn't constitute follow-up anymore uh, because, again, the person's just so far away. Our follow-up is 20 weeks we had, to write a, we had to write a series on it because they didn't exist as far as I could see. We do five weeks on just going over the basic gospel stuff again. Um, and I think at that point, and usually not before, they're converted. We do five weeks on assurance. Um, am I forgiven? Does God hear my prayers? Is he changing me? We do five weeks on what it means to live as a Christian, which is the back end of those seven basic Bible studies. What does the Bible say about the Word? What does it say about church? What does it say about um, uh, about evangelism, etc.? We do five weeks on Christian living, and then we do five weeks on um, on basic doctrine. And we find that if you try to throw those guys into a Bible study group much before that, they drown. They're just they're just all at sea in discussion about. Who was Uzziah and what is he, how does he relate to Isaiah? And well, there was an exile, I didn't know that. And it's all, it's all too confusing. We try, not to, we try not to throw those people anywhere. <laughs> we try to keep them together as a, as a small group and build others around them. So they've got a bunch of peers. No, no. Yeah, we had that good question, Chris. Yeah. The question was, um, is that follow-up one-to-one? No, ideally I reckon you'd have people, my ideal would be I'd have people in a group and I'd have someone who's looking after them one-to-one. Now the reason I want people in a group is because I think um, following up people one-to-one can convey that Christian life is just individual, my life, whereas I want to convey that Christian life is corporate. So I would have them in a group because they learn from one another. They go through the same sort of struggles and they, they realise... Now I'm a Christian, how do my non-Christian friends regard me? Yeah, I'm finding the same thing. What do I do about that? Uh, so they become a peer group for one another, but you want someone to mentor them one-to-one if you can. So it's a good, good question. Where do you 
Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation. It's helpful. Yeah. Look at me. I'm not that analytical, right? Um, when I arrived on the Central Coast, uh, church had been going for 18 months. And Andrew had this thing in place called Summerfest. That was our urban mission. We recognised we needed to start something else where people actually began to hear the gospel. Well, there were two things. I just began to think how those things connected. And once you've taken a person through a group, uh, an event where they hear the gospel, what do you need at the other end? Um, where, where are the blockages in that? Um, now, the blockages for me are we need more opportunities to have exposure to non-Christians. So how do I... How do I, if that's, the, if that's the point there where they hear the gospel in the middle, but the starting point is out here somewhere, what other things can I put out here that will mean there'll be more people flowing into here? That's more of an evolving analysis. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so if I download this, it makes it look like we're geniuses. No, we're just, just lunkheads that added part A to tab B and... Sorry, please. I, yeah, no, I, I was talking to a uh, mate of mine, um, and uh, about what we do and all, and and uh, made the comment that you know if if we wrote a book about ministry, if we're going to give it an honest title, we'd call it Have a Crack Ministries, um, because you you've got an idea about what you want to achieve, and sometimes you start it and it works brilliantly, and other times you just you just learn on the job, so. You know, in Moriola, so men. You know, I, I just thought, where are the men? Um, so I thought, okay, uh, I know what I'll do. I started a men's group. Uh, I thought we need to do some men's evangelism. So um, I got the, the, the men's group to write down the name of every non-Christian bloke they had, they knew. And we ended up with like 120 names or, you know, more. And then we reduced them down. And, and everyone had a list to go and invite, and I put on a men's dinner at the pub. Uh, we had 85 blokes turn up, and 12 of them were Christians. Amazing. They all turned up at barbecue at the pub, stand up, preach the gospel, and they all loved it. And, and even though I preached the gospel just straight down the line and, and engaged them well and all that stuff, then I thought, what do I do with the blokes who become Christians? So... <laughs> So, you know, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm caught shorty. So, so we started a men's breakfast um, because, you know, these guys aren't going to go from the pub to church, but they might turn up for, a, you know, bacon and eggs once a month Saturday morning. And, and at, 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 that, at that men's breakfast, I got blokes, uh, just normal blokes, to uh, once each week to talk about how they became a Christian and what it means for them to be a Christian, just really simple stuff. Um, and, and we, we worked through a book together. So it, it was um, just learning on the job. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. yeah. That helped, Peter? Because I think that's exactly right. You, you realise we're doing this, that was fantastic, but we need something to do, do with them now. So we started a big urban mission and we had all these kids coming. We realised we need to start a, a kids thing that runs midweek that their parents can hear more of the gospel as their kids engage in it. We started a... We realised that when we had one event um, where people were coming, a, a life event where people were coming to hear the gospel, we were seeing 70 people at a time come to it. But we needed to start another one for a different demographic, younger people, and suddenly we had twice as many people hearing the gospel. So we thought, we'll go and start a Bible teaching ministry of a lunchtime over in the local shopping centre. Well, it didn't work. 
just we, the time we put it on didn't work, so we ran it for a year. We killed it. We might start it again in some fashion in the future, but it's it's, yeah. Bruce, it's analysis on the run and how do we fix this thing next? Sometimes it's proactive. So I recognise we've got a central point at which we hear, people come to hear the gospel and they hear it in a way that they actually find surprisingly um, comfortable. Well, that's been a core thing for us. And so the next thing is how do we build stuff around that to make that function better and help more people hear the gospel? It's just developing the platform. Chris? So I'll just talk Warri Elder. Uh, I did the same thing at Tenworth, actually. But give, give the question there. Oh, sorry, the question: How do you how do you move people's mindset from uh, it's great to meet as Christians and and uh, you know this is the end game to realizing that we're actually here on a mission? Um, there was a men's group at at Warri Elder that used to meet. Uh, they called it the Bible study group, but they didn't study the Bible. They read American. Uh, American authors and then argued about why they were wrong or right. And so I went along and introduced the radical idea that uh, maybe a Bible study group ought to study the Bible and we started to do that. Um, and so so I, I guess what I'm, a short answer to a long process was I just had to move their thinking to, you know, from a club to, have you you've read that old analogy from the the uh, you know about the life saving club that that actually went from lifesavers to a yacht a, you know a club that well we we'll, we'll getting them the other way so we went from a discussion group navel gazing God has spoken what has God said do we have a hope ought we communicate that yes uh, well we need to have a men's dinner. And, and and the other thing the other thing you've got to do, I think when you when you this is why I said leadership I think is really important, is you've got to demonstrate what you're talking about. So I said, you know, I said, let's have a men's dinner. Good. We'll get the ladies to organise the sandwich. No. No, 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 no. We're having steak and if they want to drink beer, they can drink beer and we're doing it at the pub. We're not having it in the church hall, you know. Oh, Oh, what what will they say? What will they think? Oh, I don't know. We'll work it out as we go. So, okay, we're having an evangelism thing in the commercial hotel at Warriella. That's never happened before. Okay, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And and so you've got to lead the way and be confident and and then stand up in front of the, the people there and and speak the gospel that is clearly the gospel, but in a way the people go, wow. I think 
So what, one of my aims, um, one of my aims at Warriola was to, whatever I did was a wedding or a funeral or whatever it was, that people would go, I'd come back here. That, that the way I did it or what I said wouldn't stop them coming back. Now, if they don't like the gospel, um, then that's okay. But there's ways of saying the gospel. And, and, so, and so I just had to lead the way and stand up in front of all the blokes and preach the gospel in the pub and, and converse openly about it. And they all realise, oh, you can actually do this and not get your head punched in or get laughed out of town. And so the next time we do it, they're actually getting a bit excited. Um, and then, and then, then they're starting to engage in, you know, so I, you've got to lead the way, particularly when you're starting with a, like the church at Warrialda had a, an Anglo-Catholic, liberal, a, a charismatic evangelical before me, I, I guess best characterised, and me, you know. So I was trying to move these guys, you know, and you just got to do it from the front, take them with you, um, not be afraid yourself, and even if you are, keep doing it anyway. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, learn on the job. Yep. Yeah. Um, different take on it, not in contrast, but um, in, uh, how do you move people from being happy to talk generally, but to actually evangelise? Is that roughly the kind of Yeah, you've heard in one sense, Chris. I think there's a there's an obstacle at the level of conviction, obstacle at the level of confidence, and an obstacle at the level of connection. And so, um, it, it isn't sufficient, in my opinion, to preach neat sermons on a Sunday that have got three points. I I do think that the worldview of the Christian is so far away now from the worldview of the non-Christian. The Christian secretly doubts whether they have anything worthwhile to say, and so. At, at the level of the pulpit on a Sunday, I think preaching needs to demonstrate such a robust Christian worldview that the Christian is confident. Deep, they've got a deep conviction they've got something to say that's worthwhile. And not, not simply that, but they're proud of the gospel because it has the answers to life. So at the level of conviction, I think that's fundamental. Um, at the level of confidence, um, I think Laurel mentioned before, some people never see a person become a Christian. They're not quite sure how they do it. When we see our people converted, we usually we video a number of them along with a person who invited them. And when we show it on a Sunday um, over three and a half minutes, what we want to show the person in the congregation is, so how did you get talking to them? Well, we just my friend was having a garage sale at her house and I thought I'd go over and introduce myself. And then the non-Christian says, and um, Shelley came over and we just formed a friendship and and she started talking about church and I'd never been to church before and what did you say about church? And so you expose the Christian to actually what's taken place in a friend's conversation. What they see is that's not that hard. That's a confidence issue I'm trying to deal with there. Um, and the last the last part of that is, and there is a number of strategies for doing that, but the last part of that is connection. You know, How do you help them connect? 
I think the biggest obstacle for the Christian is how do I begin a conversation? And you'll realise there's a catch-22 in that because if you never begin a conversation, you don't know what the questions are, you don't know how to answer them, you don't go and get any training because you never have them. So you don't bother. So we've, we've tried to make it easy for them to begin a conversation. That's why we've done surveys regularly because we're trying to construct a conversation that they can have, give them an excuse to have it. And they find in the doing of that that they've got a bunch of conversations they need some training for. <laughs> so there, there is part of that. Yep, yep. At those different levels. Those three things. Yeah. Yeah. But part of it is just seeing it happen. So to see someone evangelise someone else and to see, I think I could do that. That's pretty important. That's a, yeah, it's a very good question. Just to put it, so for the benefit of those listening, um, how, do, how, do, how does the average church member identify where people ought to go to? Yeah. Do you, want to? do you want to tackle that, Bruce, from your point of view first? I've got an answer, but you go ahead. No, no, you, you keep going. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's actually pretty critical for us. We've had a um, uh, short answer is most of the people in the pew realise if a person's Christian or not, uh, and if they realise if they're not, um, they have such a confidence in life now that they are proactively on the lookout and they sign, they say to people sitting next to them at church, would you like to go along to life? I'll go with you. Um, so there's some measure of ability to do that, but that, that is quite an important thing. So I'm, I'll be speaking to the welcoming team in a week's time about how do they how do they quickly identify whether someone is a Christian or not? Basic rules of thumb. How do you work that out? Um, and we we kind of know where we ought to send people to. Having said that, we have glitches. You know, we just mess up. So um, I remember people. I just don't leave my mind. I know that seven or eight years ago we evangelised a girl who um, cut out of the follow up before she finished to chase a non-Christian guy. And she walked into our church a couple of months ago and I thought, I know that person. And it didn't, bell didn't ring for me for a little while until I found that she'd gone to my wife's group. She'd come along with her, she's about to have a second child and she'd come along with her, um, uh, her de facto and was put into a Bible study group, which I think is fatal. I just think it's fatal. We don't want... She's a person, I think, who knows the gospel but was unwilling to repent. Her husband, I'd bet almost any money I've got, 
is a non-Christian. He's come from an Anglican church on the Central Coast, which means almost for us that's code for very unlikely to be converted. <laughs> so to have put them into a Bible study group was just, I don't know how that took place among us, but it's been a matter of discussion, so we don't want to do it again. Um, is that, that give you some? Oh, um, the videos help people have enormous confidence that, as Laurel said, that people are being converted and that life is a place where they can go. And some people just go along because to risk your social capital to invite someone to something at church, the Christian is secretly thinking, pastors, I know you, you perhaps don't ever think this to be the case, but they're thinking, will it be terrible? <laughs> you know, am I going to be so embarrassed? Uh, and so many Christians come along to check it out for themselves, what will it be like? And that's an important confidence issue for them. Once a person's in a Bible study setting, now I've led Bible studies for 30 years, but when you have non-Christians in a Bible study setting with a bunch of other Christians, um, it's, it's actually sometimes very hard to get down to the basic gospel issues while you're dealing with the ins and outs of the book of Proverbs. You know? um, it's just sometimes very difficult to get back to that in such a way that they see in a very cut-and-dried way I'm not a Christian. Now, I've got a guy who's just come along to my Bible study group. He invited himself two weeks ago, and I think he's unconverted. So step one, I've said to the guys in my group, I think Bill, name changed, um, is not converted. And so as we talk about the gospel here, as we talk about the Bible week by week, we're not going to assume things. We want to talk about repentance and faith. Um, But that gets obscured, I think, in a group that's not designed to deal with the basics, unless you've got a very skilled leader and I wasn't skilled enough to do it. Um, we're, we're not as organised as what these guys are, uh, but but I think our culture really helps us. Um, so we talk about disciple-making disciples and um, I, think we, I, I think that really genuinely is our culture. And so what happens with us is that we've got welcoming teams in each congregation. Uh, and so if people turn up at church, they'll, they'll flick us a note. You know, we've got numerous ways of doing that. And they'll say, oh, you know, I'm wondering if this is a Christian or not. That's one way. The other way is, is just our, our people are good at inviting. Um, and and um, so, and, and taking initiative. Like, I, I, I'm one for saying if you've got an idea and... Uh, you know, go for it. Um, it makes life a little messy, but we—I have a lot of conversations with people. There's there's this person and that person. I don't know if they're a Christian yet. Have we got a group that they, they could go to? And 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 I'll go, oh, yep. Or or Greg or Dave, the other guys. Oh, look, let's start one. Um, so we we're kind of um, we, we've just got our ears out for it all the time, I guess. Um, but we're we are because we just sort of slowly but seem to keep growing in number. We just realise we've got to keep getting more and more organised, you know. And, and we look at these guys who are kind of double our number or more. And and I, you know, I, I kind of swap conversations with Andrew Heard and, and you know just just to because you do you do have to get organised. But um, it's really important to uh, know where people are at and. You know, talking about people becoming Christians, like there's a guy 
couple of years ago now, actually. He's, he's a minor. He, he was actually he won best and fairest rugby player in, in, in the district. He's a Kiwi. Um, got him, so he got a lot of trouble. I was asked if I'd call in and see him. Um, explain the gospel to him in a fairly straightforward manner. He became a Christian um, quickly, which is fantastic. He's living with a girl who said she's a Christian. And I'm going, well, what are you doing live with him if you're a Christian? You know? um, he, he's just an absolute raw product. Knows absolutely nothing of the gospel at all. So I'm still meeting up with him. Um, uh, and, and halfway through the process of meeting up with him, and I, I said, you guys need to separate and work it out. Then, then I said, well, you need to get married. And halfway through that process, she became a Christian. But the whole time, she's telling him to lift his game and come where she is, and then she realised she's not even a Christian. Um, it's just amazing, you know, where people are at and, and the time. I, I, I actually tried to drop him in a Bible study group and asked him how it was going. He said, mate, I just, I don't know what they're talking about, you know. I said, okay, um, let's, let's keep moving up. Um, anyway, yeah. Which means, as a matter of interest, just to piggyback on that, the people leading those kind of new Christian groups need to be your best leaders. Yeah. And that's, that's not easy to do, to extract them. There's a desperate need for good Bible study leaders in church. How do you pull up some of the best of those out to get them to lead follow-up groups? Pretty hard to do. Yeah, well, well um, um, I think of Worry Elder. Um, the first Bible study group I started was with the Mother's Union. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it was eight or ten women. Um, you know, that was really small numbers. I used to go out to satellite churches where there were <coughs> six people to turn up, two people to turn up. Um, um, I, I was trained. No, no, okay, okay. So your question is, what, what do you do if you're untrained? What do I do if I've got a pastor who's not really equipped up? Yep. We've got a small congregation. How do we help our people grow when we ourselves have got to know how to grow, to grow them? You know, like you say, disciple, yep. disciple. So the disciples were disciples, disciples, disciples. You know what I mean? Um, um, really big issues. Um, I mean, I was in your... Um, yeah, like there, there's so many issues there, uh, but but can I say? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh, but can I just say, start where you are, and 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 see where it goes. I mean, I started where I was at Ningen and ended up starting another church because something that I saw growing started to be destroyed, and I just thought, now that was a massive thing to do, and I knew it. I I worried over that for months, but we did it. Um, and uh, yeah, but I start where you are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and and I I can't add much to that except to say we talked over morning tea there earlier. Uh, the question, one of the questions I realised it was current for you guys, which we chatted about, is um, you don't have a pastor. You want someone who will pastor and care for people. 
But the thing that will gather church is the person that pastors people by feeding them the Bible. One of the great dangers for people who've felt a lack of a pastor with a gentle heart who will gather alongside people is they then, in their next choice of the leader of church, will go for someone who is like that and sacrifice Bible teaching. And my observation is, this is now um, to pick up what Bruce was saying about his observations of life, one of the reasons I didn't go into full-time ministry was coming from the navigators, sorry, full-time ordained uh, Bible college trained ministry. I wanted to see what can you do in a place if you're just faithful in a small church. And my observation over a long period of time being at a very small Anglican church was that what happens in the pulpit sets the tone for everything. And I couldn't do lots. I, there was not, I could faithfully lead a Bible study group. I could gather up kids from the area who were not Christians and, and evangelise them and disciple them, and I did do that. But what happens in the pulpit shapes everything. Mm. And so in your future planning and thinking, you really do need to look for someone who can bring the Bible to bear on people's lives and, um, and you lead people by vision. So that they need a vision for the fact that we want to grow uh, people in the gospel cause. That's what Jesus wants for us. Um, one, one thing I, I want to say about this... Um, Pastoral care, okay? What is pastoral care? Um, no, 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 it's, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> Having asked the question, the rhetor- now I've got to answer it. Um, um, it. It's a pastoral term and, and it's about sheep and shepherds and all that sort of stuff. Uh, proper pastoral care is when you bring someone into a relationship with a shepherd. Um, and so you get people who go, oh, he's a great preacher, but he's no good at pastoring. Or he's he's great pastor, but he's no good at preaching. I just think those categories are terrible and miss the whole point. Proper ministry is proper pastoral care. Proper pastoral care is proper, proper ministry. And it's all about creating in people, encouraging in people a living relationship with the shepherd. So... And I worked this out when I was farming because I realised that I had limited hours. I thought, my job when I deal, when I preach or when I'm talking about someone who's you know, in some sort of trouble is to get, grow their dependence on Christ, not me. So when people tell me about Pastor Bob who is just fantastic, blah, 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 I almost know that they will be immature Christians who've got lots of problems that have never been dealt with because they're totally dependent on Pastor Bob. So we all ought to have as our goal, if we're going to pass the people properly, is to go, my aim in this conversation, so if I'm, when I'm marriage counselling people or whatever I'm doing, my aim is to get them depending on Christ. And at some point, sometimes it's soon, sometimes it's a bit further, is to actually hand them on to someone else so that they don't start depending on me and thinking the sun shines out of me because it doesn't. Um, and, but, but how do you get people to depend to enter a relationship with the shepherd, with Jesus? A growing, it is through the word. Um, it's not through sentiment, though we are sentimental. It's not through emotion, though I express lots of emotion. It's not, that's all part of just being human. But we've got to get people knowing and trusting the shepherd. That's pastoral care, that's ministry, that's preaching repentance and faith. It's all the same thing.